Welcome to Academic Conversation with Merton and Morgan. I'm Alicia. And I'm Mary. And tonight we will continue our series on Ink and Ideas by Tandy McGregor. This is episode five and we are discussing chapter four and it's about sketchnoting live. Be in the moment. So Mary, this chapter kind of started off with just that making sure you are present and sketchnoting right in the moment, whether you're reading, viewing something, listening to something. It's important that when you're listening, reading, or viewing, your focus is there when you're learning something new. And we've talked about that over the last several episodes about how sketchnoting helps you focus. Yes, and she presented some research here to back that up. And also that a lot has been said about the value of undivided attention it's really hard to have a chance to just stay completely focused on something and I notice a lot of times when kids are sitting together on the carpet or back at their tables or their desks even if it's something they're interested in they have a hard time staying focused and I think that's the same for us as well for sure on page 70 Tanny created a Thinking strategy tangram. Oh, I just realized Tanny tangram. I think that was on purpose. Probably not. But Probably not. Fine. Okay. If she had put a capital on tangram, <laughs> I would have thought, okay, way to go. All right. The tangram provides just a reminder of all the different strategies that can be used when comprehending while sketchnoting. So we have questioning, determining importance, synthesis, connecting to schema metacognition, inferring, and visualizing. So I also love on page 70, she says, sketchnoting concretizes the abstract ways our brains make meaning and gives us something visual to show for it. I I highlighted that as well, Mm -hmm. making your abstract thinking concrete. And we talk a lot about that in math, but I'm not so sure we talk about that in reading as much. You're right. You do hear those terms in math more often. She mentioned transforming input, too, and I think that's right along the same um, line of thinking. It's metacognitive, which we've discussed many times, but the reason it's metacognitive is because it transforms input, connecting to your schema and synthesizing and determining importance and so on. Yeah, and she kind of sums up on page 71. We've, We've talked about it a lot already, but just putting reading together, making your thinking visible with sketchnoting and she gives an example where a teacher would be talking to the kids and the teacher would say, our thinking is our superpower. And I think that is powerful for students to know that, that, that what their brain produces is is something powerful that they can use and, and share. Um, and it's important that their thoughts are important. Right, and it's taken a long time for that brain to develop. You know, We should be celebrating all the things that it can do One of the phrases that I lifted from page 71 was mining the essence of meaning in a personal way. And I just thought there was no better way to say that, the essence of meaning and making it personal, which is that emotion piece, once again. Um, She also used the phrases paraphrase and reformulate. And that, again, made me think of my own students and how they're having to, my English learners, and how they're having to try to make meaning out of things that don't have the same vocabulary structure or sometimes even concepts that they're familiar with and it just made me think how powerful this will be for them but also I've been working with a fifth grade teacher co-teaching with her and talking about 
taking notes and then taking your notes and putting the notes back into your own words, which is paraphrasing essentially. And that is a really complex um, activity for kids to learn and do successfully. And this is something that can really help them as well, being able to use symbols and being able to represent their thoughts about what they read so they can go back and own it and they're not just copying it down. I think the idea of students creating something out of nothing that Tani discusses when she revisits launching real-time sketchnoting with your students, that it reminded me that it is important for kids to have tools to help themselves and support themselves when they feel like they're stuck. And one of the ideas that she promoted was generating an idea bank with the kids. And an idea bank really is visuals and um, phrases together. And that would be something that kids could look back at to help figure out where they want to go in their thinking, much like the sketch mat that we talked about last time that gives you the symbolic representations that you like to use so you can quickly go to those that if you're reading a book with kids, they would have some ideas already on the anchor chart. And along with the um, idea bank, she she has us remember those guiding questions. What's important? What's interesting? Because students often get stuck, and she says you're about to make something out of nothing. So it's just a way to keep their thinking going if they run into a little bit of trouble while sketchnoting. Okay. So there were some interesting phrases that we enjoyed in the section called reading and sketchnoting together. I think we had the same ones that we lifted from that section. Which ones did you find? She talks about a slowing down process um, that she calls deceleration. Um, We are always talking about acceleration and accelerating and making sure that we kind of cram it as much as possible. And she takes the opposite approach here where she kind of talks about, okay, we're, we're going to slow down. We're going to decelerate our pace and look at it from different points of view. So they kind of sketch a little bit, stop, take a gallery walk, share their ideas, and and go back to it. Or they view something. We talked about this strategy last time, um, which is the read, think, sketch, and repeat. Read, um, thinks, it, yes, sketch and repeat. And she says that this is thinking intensive, and it's fun. She recommends using a, a read aloud. When you do this, it's an ideal time to practice being present with your pen in hand. And then she gave us some really beautiful examples of work that not just kids, but other teachers, sometimes um, undergrads, different people who are trying sketch noting and opportunities for doing that. So... I think we should go ahead and outline what those opportunities are and then maybe go backwards and tell some of our ideas for those. So some of the opportunities for sketch noting with students are read aloud, which is the recommended vehicle for at least getting started with kids because uh, she talks about how read aloud time is familiar and kids aren't learning a new process and adding sketch noting to it makes sense to me. Another one is music, listening to audio, text excerpts, direct instruction, marginalia, images and objects, and a daily sketch. So let's go back and take a look at read aloud. 
What were the books that she used in the text for read aloud as examples? Charlotte's Web was one of them Mm -hmm. um, that she had used with a, a student in the third grade. And in the fifth grade, she had mentioned the last fifth grade of Emerson Elementary. Okay. I work a lot with kindergarten, first grade, and second grade. And some of the read alouds that I thought about that students could practice is a series by Mo Willems called Elephant and Piggy. And there's a lot of dialogue, but sometimes not a lot of illustration to go with it. So it would be interesting to see what the students come up with listening to the dialogue between Elephant and Piggy. I'll bet they would be hilarious. Oh, I'm sure. I would really want to see funny. those. I bet Mo Willems would want to see them too. Probably. He, he probably seems would. Like he yeah. would. I started thinking about what kind of books would really lend themselves to sketch noting. And the reason I was thinking that is because my kids a lot of times like books that are sort of like graphic novels. Even young children's books are being written in that style, which is fine. But I think that if you have a book like that and you're trying to get someone to sketch note, it's a little bit harder because it's already so picture-based. So I automatically started thinking about, well, what are the books that don't have as many pictures already in them that the kids need to imagine about? And a book that I've been reading in a second grade class where I co-teach is The King's Equal by Katherine Patterson. And It goes along with our theme of kindness for November at our school. And also, it has beautiful, striking illustrations, but there are lots of pages with only text. And so I think that it would be great to use that book because the kids have to imagine a lot of what's happening in the story. And then I always thought, also thought about my kids who really enjoy culturally relevant text. And a book that my students really like to read is a picture book of Cesar Chavez by David and Michael Adler. And they just really, they love the story. They love learning about him and what he did. And I think that, and the book itself has gorgeous pictures, but you could easily, it it has rich text, so you could easily read it to them, have them sketch, and then even have them look at the pictures that are in the book and try to decide, well, why did the illustrator decide to include that or use those colors or, and then why did you do what you did? So those were the ones that I was thinking of offhand. We also talked about music. You were thinking about genres, right? Yes. I thought it would be interesting to expose students to different types of music, different genres of music, and see what types of sketch notes they produce. We talk about emotion a lot, of course, and it would it would just be interesting to me if, if one style of music resonated more with a student than another, would you be able to tell that, would that be represented in their sketch notes? I was thinking also about folk songs because folk songs tell stories and some of them have topics that are from different countries, different times, different eras, and it would be fun to have kids do some sketching of what they're thinking is going on in the story, the song rather, and then talk about why they put that and what it meant, you know, at the time. There's also a lot of folk songs from countries that our students come from. And so I was thinking of one called Martina, the Beautiful Cockroach. And it's also a book by Carmen Agraditi, which we love. And the song 
is on a CD that comes with the book. And I was just thinking it would just be really fun to take some songs that kids have been familiar with because of their parents or maybe grandparents or family members singing them to them and taking a look at what they draw and what their friends would draw when they hear the song. What about audio? What kind of audio do you think would lend itself to sketch noting? So she talks a lot about podcasts, TED Talks, audiobooks, speeches, poetry, radio shows. But again, I work mostly with the younger students. So I thought about um, they still listen to the books on tape. Some of the classrooms still have the old tape recorders. Oh, they do? With cassette tapes? With cassette tapes and the books to match. So Those are easier to manage sometimes than CDs or something on an iPad. It still works, so why not? Right. Um, And they don't have enough iPads for every student, So, Mm -hmm. and the kids love it. They put the headphones on, they have the book in front of them, um, and then they, they are responding afterwards. So why not have them sketch note as they listen? Would you then uh, not have them read along in the book? I think so. I think I would just... And um, we know that listening comprehension precedes reading comprehension. So any any chance they have to increase that listening comprehension, I I think is beneficial still. I think it would be a great way to practice. I do too. And and see what they produce. I was thinking about a website that I know of. A lot of ESL teachers are, are familiar with it. It's called Story Nori. Story Nori, S-T-O-R-Y-N-O-R-Y dot com. And Story Nori has lots of free audio stories. And one of the fun things about it is that it has a lot of myths and it has a lot of fables. It has fairy tales and junior stories. They call them stories for young kids and then poems and music. And it's all just free. So you could just play one of these for kids and they um, could sketch note while they're listening or it could be a station that they use in the classroom. That too. We also have um, the one where celebrities are reading aloud to students online. That's called storylineonline.net. Would also be a great mm-hmm. That's resource a great too. One. The teachers love that one because the um, actors read it so vividly in my school because it's performing arts that would be really interesting too to have the kids think about why do you think they read these books so well i've never thought about doing that but they would get that they would make that connection actors yeah it's drama so what about images images and objects well i immediately thought of images and objects i thought of social studies in the fifth grade class that i co-teach in The teacher uses a lot of social studies content for writing that we do in the classroom writing um, block. And just the other day, I was looking for some visuals to share with the kids because we're going to be writing uh, captions to try to capture our own thoughts and put things into our own words to prepare for writing informational pieces. And so I found this beautiful portrait of Sacagawea and she's pointing Lewis and Clark and their core of discovery in the direction they need to go and it's just very vivid and it has clothing and it has um, the environment the outdoor environment there are a lot of expressions on people's faces and 
I think that kids could definitely look at that and sketch out what they're thinking is going on in that picture. So sketching about a picture seems a little, I wouldn't have thought to do that, but I could see how the kids could get their thinking around the picture by sketch noting it in a very simple way. Do you think it would work? I think it would. And then they don't have to worry about putting their, their thoughts into complete sentences and does this sentence flow into the next sentence? Right. And there, you know, we go back to sketch noting being the purposes for the person taking the sketch notes mm-hmm. and what makes sense to them. So like I, you I said, think it be effective. Yeah, it's really about your purpose because I was thinking a lot of times what I would do with a picture like this is I would ha- gather my kids together and, ha- and we would label this picture with as many labels as we could think of and then we would start doing some writing with it. But that's because they need help with sentence structure and, you know, in English. But if I really want them to think deeply about what's happening in this time period specifically, then and especially if they were getting ready to write something informational, the sketch notes would really help them get at that. And they could use those two questions, right? And what are the two questions? Um, what's important? And what's interesting, right? So what's important in this picture? And then what's interesting in this picture? And then I thought about just the cover of a picture book itself before you even start to read. You know, we kind of make those predictions. We read the title and we look at the cover and say, what do you think this is about? But um, maybe before we even write the title or, or have any kind of discussion at all, just showing them the cover of the book or the book jacket of the book, and just having them kind of sketch note either background knowledge they have about the cover or some details. Go ahead and sketch out some of their thought and, and their thinking as they go. Uh, and you could guide them with questions. What is this? What do you, what do you mm-hmm. think this is? Why do you think that? Okay, draw a picture, add a label to that on your paper, and then have a discussion about it instead of one kid at a time. It would get everyone involved. Yes. Yeah. From the very beginning. And then I, maybe reading the title and then saying, okay, how does this, how does the picture on the front or the illustration on the front connect to the title? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. objects too. I could see objects would be super helpful if you had any artifacts that you could use during science, social studies. It could be anything that you're teaching to bring the actual object or realia as it's referred to and have kids sketch note about it. Think of that ask and answer questions standard. Mm-hmm. That would lend itself really well. Yes. Here's oh, an object. Yes. Let's sketch out some questions that you have. Um, what are some things you notice and what are some questions that you have about it? And then as you're teaching about that object or topic, you are answering those questions. Okay. So marginalia, that's essentially writing in the margins, correct? Yes. All right. So my first thought about that was close reading because that's when I see intermediate teachers really annotating in front of kids. I think that's probably what I see it the most is when they're doing a close reading lesson. And so I think you could also take that chance not just to annotate with words, but to also use symbols and pictures. Does that make sense that that would be a time to do it? Do you think I'm on track? Yes, I think you're right on track. Okay. I think if you run out of post-its, 
You know, we post. Oh yeah. Posting yes. a lot. I, I see that as an as an alternative, maybe. Okay. To the posted notes. Mm-hmm. And then using that to start to begin to summarize. Mm-hmm. Taking it's kind of a bridge. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then of course. That's what I took from it, but. Okay. And then book annotations, right? Of course. Yes. Our favorites, which got us started in this whole. Well, and she says she does that too because sometimes you can't write in the book. You can't annotate in the book. It's not yours. Yes. So this is just another alternative when you don't have access. Right. And you're not allowed. Right. All right. And then daily sketch was another one. And you had some thoughts about that. So the daily sketch, I looked at it from more of a personal lens than a professional lens. I have a morning routine where I write down things that I'm grateful for in the morning and she actually has an example of that um, to sketch that out instead of write it. Of course I write it out (laughs) as we all know but maybe switching it to using more images and icons um, rather than just words and I'm also a list maker (laughs) so I do have a daily list of to do's um, which I'm reading research says is not always the most productive to really? have a to-do list. So I have to-do lists, list too. Next I, time, I, but, do, I promise. But maybe adding some more icons to make my to-do list a little bit more interesting. And she has an example of that, and I like it. I thought, oh, that would be nice to check that off mm-hmm. with those pictures. And today I need to do this and then have that be a part of your routine. But she says about the daily sketch, it's quick. It's just a few minutes in the morning, no more than five minutes. Okay. So it's it's just challenge yourself to do it and it, it's quick. It's another way to, to practice. And to give your, your mind notes. some creativity. Yeah. I don't know. When you've sketch noted more, I want you to tell me if you think this could be true. All right. I feel like because I've been sketchnoting and thinking visually a lot, when I'm listening to a book, one of my own audiobooks, I can visualize it better. Oh, I haven't even noticed that. I'm thinking in images more. Uh, you know, we just were talking about the book we both read, The Giver of Stars by Jojo Moyes. And yeah. I notice as I'm listening to that book, I'm seeing it so much more vividly because I really think it's because I have been doing so much more drawing and thinking visually than I used to. I don't know if I've improved that much with visualizing because I I feel like it's already just something that I've done. Because mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of audiobooks mm-hmm. as I'm doing something else. So I always have that mm-hmm. those strong visual images. But I will have to yeah. notice that mm-hmm. as I do more sketch noting. Mm-hmm. I'll have that in the back of my mind. For sure. It's just something I thought about. I really thought, I wonder if I've strengthened that muscle a little bit more because audio listening isn't my, is not my strong um, input. It's, I really need to see it to get it, but I do listen to books because I don't have time to read all the books that I want to read. So yeah. And I do have kids who literally don't see something in their minds when they're reading. I've had kids that I've said to them, okay, what do you see right now? And they look at me like, what do you mean? Right. They have said that to me. What are you talking about? You know, and I'll just take a simple, simple couple phrases from a book that are vivid and say, what do you draw what you see? And they don't know what I mean by what you see. They don't see anything in their mind. They're not realizing that they're supposed to be picturing something. So I think this could be a great way to help them kind of jumpstart that. I agree. 
my daily sketches and my quotes. I have a quotes notebook. I love quotes, and I've always loved quotes, and I've always collected them. I used to just write them in little notebooks, and then nicer notebooks, and then uh, I got Pinterest boards of quotes, and... <laughs> Then I found some apps that allow you to write quotes and put backgrounds and use nice fonts and things like that. But for the past year or so, I've been using my Paper 53 app and I have been practicing my lettering and borders and things like that by writing the quotes myself. And I noticed that I really enjoy doing that more than just pinning it and someone else, you know, something I find on the internet, just pin it to the board. I remember them better. They go back through my mind and I connect back to them, the ones that I wrote into my journal on my iPad, more than the ones that are in my um, Pinterest boards. Not that I don't still use them, but I do. I do, I do. I have to say with you saying that, that we were at a conference this weekend and we were able to hear Tani speak. Yes. Not one session, but... Two sessions. Two sessions. And she said that exact same thing. She had talked to us about a lady, Grandma. I cannot remember Grandma's name, but I. Grandma but, Gatewood. Grandma Gatewood, mm-hmm. and she walked the Appalachian Trail three times. Mm-hmm. And Tanny said that we, because we sketch noted information about Grandma Gatewood, that we would remember her, and. I'm terrible with names, so that is not Tani's strategy. That is completely me. So I'm not surprised that I can't remember Grandma Gatewood, but I do remember many of the details. So it was funny that you said that because it made me think of what she said, that if you sketch note about a subject that you have a higher recall later, and she's absolutely right because there are some details she um she hiked the trail in tennis shoes, mostly Converse, and she did it in her 60s, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. And so she, so Tani's right. I, I would never have remembered those details if I had not used that sketch noting strategy. So when you just said that, it reminded me. I remember that. that because I'm a hiker. I remember that she carried very few items with her because in my sketch note. I can see my sketch note right now because you just brought it up. And I remember looking at yours and looking at mine, and they were very different, but they captured the same elements. And I drew a backpack on the trail where, in my mind, she had dropped it there because she didn't use backpacks and and nice boots and tents, and she just depended on the kindness of strangers. And so they called her uh, a pioneer of ultralight (laughs) hiking, but that's kind of a trend that's not really what she was doing was she was just being simple she was simplifying things and wanting to be free she wasn't trying to pioneer a trend for people who want to now go out and buy lighter weight things or lighter weight shoes I don't know it kind of made me laugh a little because I thought no that's not what Grandma Gatewood was all about all you people who love your hiking gear but but yeah, I don't know that I would have thought about that again if I couldn't just now picture that I drew a little backpack sitting on the ground on that windy right. trail I drew because um, we sketch noted about it. Do you want to talk a little yeah. bit about a couple of the other things Tani said? Sure. At the conference that we saw her present at, and that was 
at Ohio University. It was a literacy conference put on by the Liter Stevens Literacy Center, right? And they had some really amazing people there. But one of the things she talked about in her first talk was visual literacy and decelerating with visual literacy, which it's interesting because we hadn't read this chapter yet, so I hadn't been exposed to her thinking around deceleration, and then we got to this chapter, and I thought, aha. And there it is. And there it is. So That was she, exciting. It was really exciting. She said that creativity is the lifeblood of instruction, so let it flow. And that reminded me of how many times we keep our kids from being creative because we feel like we don't have time, we have to take an assessment, we have to progress monitor something, we have to be accountable for, you know, mastery of something. So that got my uh, attention right away. I put something down that spacing is more effective than cramming. Oh, okay. I didn't write that. And she had said that slow down if you want deeper thinking. So we're all about this critical thinking, deeper thinking, but we're still rushing, rushing, rushing. And so I've I felt like it was interesting that she said you have to slow down in order to think deeply. And she's right, because just think about when you're in a hurry or when you're in a rush, your mind's not clear. And if it's not clear, you can't take in information, synthesize information, and and put it back out in the way that you need to. She also said speed gets us nowhere fast. Did you get that one? I didn't get the one you just said, but I did get speed gets us nowhere fast. I have my attempt at a race car there, which I'm sure all the boys in second grade would laugh at because they can all draw one. I have on my sketch notes here, stop throwing work, worksheets at problems. Oh, I need to write that down. That that needs to be a t-shirt for you, right? I think you should have that. That's going to be your Christmas present, I imagine, from me to you. She said students who learn to look and look again are discovering their powers. and. Them. She talked also about a study by um, a professor, Jennifer Roberts, from Harvard, The Power mm -hmm. of Patience. And that was in the context of students not wanting to really, even at Harvard, not wanting to take time to think and slow down and, and really come up with their own thoughts. And so she sent this professor sent them to a museum to look at a piece of art and they had to do it for a really long extended amount of time and just the whole idea behind it was that you don't even start to really interact with a piece of art until you've looked at it for quite a bit of time. I think the professor challenged um, that class for three hours three and had hours. to look at a piece of That's art. Right. I that was that. extreme definitely. I think she was making her point. Absolutely <laughs> and I thought wow I wonder if I could sit there that long and do right. that. Right but there have been times when I've been looking at something in a museum and I literally had to sit down. I couldn't leave. I just had to sit down and just look at it for a while because it was giving me emotions and I thought what is it? What is it that's striking me this way? So if you have that luxury, then that's wonderful. But also, you have to take the time. You have to claim it and make it yours. Now, I did notice that in my notes from the conference on Saturday, and I just noticed this connection right now, okay. I have drawn uh, a book, the text, a light bulb for mm -hmm. your thinking, and then a heart. 
And then right underneath that, it has in parentheses, kids superpower. And we just talked about that, bringing their thinking to what they are reading. Yeah. And I didn't remember that when I was reading the chapter. I'm going back and looking at my sketch notes now. So that's interesting to see that connection. She gave us some resources, too. Um, One is a hashtag, object, think. And she also talked about finding examples of visuals for kids to use for deeper thinking. And then, you know, sketch noting also is connected to that. And see, think, wonder strategy, which comes from Visible Thinking, which is a website that you and I both were looking at and thought, this is a great, this is a great website. We haven't really been exposed to it before. And why not? Someone should have told us. (laughs) Why didn't we know? But it's great. And I've actually used a strategy from that this week, the that website, and was very pleased with it. So wordlessnews.com was another resource she talked about, where there are images of things that are happening in the world, current events, and you can kids can respond to that. Of course, you always have to think about looking at it and deciding if it's appropriate for the age and development of your students. She said National Geographic photo of the day um, and picturing America.neh.gov. I think that was the Laura Bush initiative where they, Laura Bush was trying to get some really fantastic historical images brought into schools on posters. And she did say that a lot of schools may still have those images. Right. She said that they would be in a big white envelope, mm-hmm. and probably your art teacher mm-hmm. might or have librarian, them. Or librarian, I would right. think, might have them. So you might want to check that out because they are they're replicas of many great pieces of art. Is is what she was saying, right? Right, that are connected to American history is what my understanding Mm -hmm. was. I haven't looked at it yet, but she showed us a really interesting picture of it that a kid did of what metacognition is. Yeah, his name was Reed. Yes. Of course, which is perfect. Uh, Reed, R-E-I-D, but, you know, Reed likes to read. But the kid drew what he thought metacognition was, and the funny thing was he had this square rectangular shape plugged into the back of his base of his head and she was going through this visual and everything's pretty easy to understand except for this thing hanging off the back of his head and she said I know what you're thinking you want to know what this is so they asked him and he said reading is like an iPod plugged in your brain and so that's why he had a cord with that rectangle and I just loved that he saw reading (laughs) as being something he was that involved, you know, that involved his thinking processes that much. It wasn't something that he has to do. It's something that he can't live without. What do you think? I think that probably wraps up chapter four. Mm -hmm. Chapter four is really a very visual chapter. So I think that If you don't have the book yet, chapter four is a really good reason to get the book because chapter four gives you lots of visuals and examples of visuals. I did like, I forgot to say this, I did like that Tani gave sort of a caution about whether she wanted to share these items or not because she didn't want people to think this was the way to do any of these things and I really respect that. I think everybody who's taught 
adults through kids, you worry about giving that success criteria or that model for fear that it's going to just be something that people feel like they have to replicate. But I think it's worth taking that chance to give people some models to some ideas, mm-hmm, yes, some ideas and some safety. Because, like you said, sometimes that blank slate is intimidating. Yes, it is. And even for us, so I can imagine for for students. Mm-hmm. So that wraps up our session, episode five. Episode six will actually we're going to merge chapter five and six together. Right. So chapter five is thinking ahead and. Thinking afterward. Mm-hmm. And then chapter six is sketch note tapas. Mm, tapas. Not the food. We'll have to have tapas when we make that podcast that night. That's right. Okay. So you can hear us eating and there crunching are in your ears. close by. We can go find some. So hopefully you join us for episode six next week. Two chapters instead of one. And that's it for this episode of Ink and Ideas by Tanny McGregor. Thanks, Alicia. Thanks, Mary. See you next week.